All right, well, this morning marks the beginning of the end as Pastor John and I start our sermon series off of the book of Revelation. Let's do that one more time. All right, yeah, all right. So the book of Revelation. All right, we're going to have a great time. Uh, This book uh, is often one of the most popular books to want to study. I don't know why. Um, I guess it's probably because of all the imagery that is used in the book of Revelation and through the popular movie that came out, uh, Left Behind. It seems like more and more people over the past 100 years uh, have been particularly interested in the uh, end uh, of the end of the earth and, and how Christ will come back and how will Christ return and, and what are going to be the signs of the times to determine if we are close or not to the end. Many per- people observing what is happening in this world today are looking at today's events and attributing them to various aspects in the book of Revelation and its prophecies. I can assure you that no one was more interested in Christ's return than the disciples and the early apostles, the early church. No one was more uh, concerned about it than them. Well, this is an introductory uh, sermon, and so it's not going to be filled with uh, a long exegetical overview of everything that we're going to go over, Um, so just be patient with me. We're going we're gonna to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, uh, and we see that the book of Revelation, um, the, the Apostle Paul is the one writing this book, and we see that he is writing it from the island of Patmos. It's a, it's a small island in the Aegean Sea, approximately about 40 miles southwest of Ephesus. Patmos is uh, rocky, it's a barren place, virtually devoid of, uh, of trees, and its very unpleasantness made it a good location to punish uh, popular people who were perceived to be civil disobedience against the Roman Empire. So I went and I did a Google search, and I was like, hey, what does the island of Patmos look like? I was like, man, I want to go on vacation there. Are you kidding? That looks nice. Um, I guess it was... A, it was, it was uh, it was much worse back then, all right? Uh, Revelation 1.9 uh, clearly uh, says that Paul had been exiled uh, to the island of Patmos, but it isn't 100% certain um, that he was there uh, as, an, uh, as being exiled. Okay, It is implied that he is there, but we, we don't know 100% sure, but we are fairly certain that is in fact why he was there. Now, while John was enduring the hardships of being on this island, he receives this revelation from Christ. Now, many mistakes I made, I have made in life. Uh, The book of Revelation, okay? The book of Revelation. There's no S at the end of it. The book of Revelation. John received many revelations, but it's the book of Revelation, all right. The Apostle John is the author of this book. Okay, it's it's not highly disputed. Um, this Apostle John is the same one that wrote the Gospel of John and wrote the three letters, First, uh, Second, and Third John. Okay, the Book of Revelation is a commentary 
on these visions that John received from Christ. And this book was written to seven churches that were located in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Hopefully you can see on the map, um, good, where, where the location is. It's important to keep in mind as we go through studying the book of Revelation that these letters were intended to be circulated among these seven churches. Now, the number seven, okay? It's not on accident that the apostle John is writing to these uh, seven churches. Seven in the Bible is a uh, complete number. It means it's a completion. And so writing to these seven churches also can mean writing to all the churches of that time. Truth and lending this morning. If you studied the book with Craig Spencer over two and a half years in the men's Bible study, this sermon series over Revelation, you're going to be seriously disappointed. Okay? Sorry. Okay? We are not going to go through verse by verse, word by word, do an exegetical ripping apart, and what do all these things mean? We're, we're not going to get that in-depth of the book of Revelation. Because again, two and a half years in a men's Bible study, you're not going to get that uh, in this sermon series. However... Pastor John and I are going to cover some major themes in the book of Revelation. And here's the basic outline. Number one, how to interpret prophetic scriptures. Uh, how to understand the church and uh, Israel as, as in God's chosen people. Uh, what is meant by the intermediate state? Uh, what is the second coming of Christ? What is the language of the second advent? What is the, who is the Antichrist and what is the great tribulation? Uh, what is the resurrection and rapture? Judgment, and of course, the kingdom of God. My daughter, Jaina, uh, she looked up. All right, so my daughter, Jaina, was in the car with my grandparents. And they're in a, they're in a car ride, and uh, she, she asked her grandpa a particular question. And uh, my, my, my father answers her question, and uh, she says, well, well how, did, how is it that you knew this answer? He's like, oh, well, Grandpa, Grandpa knows everything. And she says, well, then when is Jesus coming back, Grandpa? And uh, she got him, right? And this was like my, my smart Jaina, my, my little theologian, all right? So as we begin moving through this book of Revelation, uh, the visions and words that God reveals to John are sometimes confusing and hard to interpret. That's an understatement of the year. Let me give you a very poor example. Have you ever had a dream and uh, you, you're in this dream and you're just experiencing either just these images and just amazingness and it, it, it's stirring up all these different senses in your, in your body and, and, it, it, and it causes an emotional response, maybe anger or frustration, rage or fear or anxiety and, and, and you wake up and you're like, wow, that was, that was incredible. It, it just felt so real. And then, so what do you do? You go and you, you call one of your friends up or your, in your family or, or whatever. And you, and you begin explaining what it is that you saw in the dream. And they're staring at you like, what are you talking about? 
right? No, 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 I get it, I get it. And it's hard to explain, okay? No, so there was this clown, right? And then, no, there was a donut shop, and then, okay, so then all these cats were running down the street, and they're like, why are you so upset? Well, what's wrong with you? And you're like, no, 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 okay, look, it's, it's hard to put into exact words of the encounter that you just had. And I think this is a little bit of how we can understand the prophetic message that was given to the Apostle John. However, these images and how they are specifically laid out in Revelation have purpose. They are not lost in translation like the example that I gave you, which I said is a poor example, okay? This does not detract away from the true message that God has given to John in this revelation. Because if, there, if this was just simply his fumbling around trying to explain a dream or a vision he had, this would not be an authoritative book. It wouldn't have been included in the canon. And so we can trust what uh, the Bible says about revelation as being true and a true revelation um, that was given to John. It doesn't mean, however, that the audience that the Apostle John is talking to wouldn't be scratching their head a few times and saying, uh, does anybody else know what he's talking about? Um, uh, does, does, okay, so it, it can be a little confusing. Let me give you an example. Revelation 13, uh, starting in chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The dragon stood at the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne uh, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And the church, the seven churches are, are looking at each other and saying, um, okay, now if we're going to draw this out, this might be what we're looking at here, right? So it can be a little confusing. However, this is one of the instances that Jesus gives John the interpretation of this vision. So he doesn't give it right away. It's not like when Joseph had a dream and he, he says, okay, here's the dream and here's exactly what it means. It's like, here's part of your dream and then, no, 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 no. Okay, remember this part back here? Here we go. So if we look at Revelation chapter 17, verses nine through four, uh, the, the interpretation of this image is given to him. It says, this calls for mind with wisdom. The seven heads and the seven hills on which, uh, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must only remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are the kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will, will receive authority as king along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be called chosen and faithful followers." 
Revelation is full of these descriptions, but less about the explanation. So even though John received a particular revelation of this vision, and he's trying to explain it to him, Jesus gives him the meaning of what he saw, but still lies the question, who are these kings? When are they coming? Have, it says they, they haven't already come, but some will, and, and this wound, and, and what do we look for? How do we understand? John, I've got questions. I've got questions. It's like, we don't have the answer to that. It's crucial that we read this book uh, as we would as any other book in the Bible. We, we try to read it within the context in which the readers would have understood it. Revelation reading, uh, having been written in the first century, we would have needed to know, we need to know uh, what the church had been experiencing as far as persecution and who are those in power and positions of authority who are doing the oppressing. We need to be careful that we don't read these revelations in this book to mean exactly uh, that they are timeless. In other words, that every single thing that is mentioned in Revelation is seen as a future event. Some of the events were addressing specific things at a specific time and therefore are not timeless throughout the world. And as we read through Revelation, and I really would encourage all of you to read it, okay? Don't read the King James Version. Just That one will be a little bit more difficult, but if you want to read other versions or if you want to read the KJV, that's okay too. But I would encourage all of you to try to read through Revelation over the next few months. And as we read Revelation, we are going to see parallels with other prophetic messages from Daniel, Zechariah, uh, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, just to name a few. Again, these letters were... Uh, designed to be circulated amongst the other churches. And we're going to unpack what some of those letters entailed and the correlations between some of those prophecies uh, that I mentioned before. But I know what most of you are wondering at this point. What do we believe about the end times? Hey, are we a post-trib? We're mid-trib, right? How do we believe Christ is going to come back today? And, and how do I prove my friend wrong in my Bible study, Right? That's what you're all wondering. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I don't even understand the words you just threw out. And that's okay, because I'm going to go over it right now. The tribulation essentially is going to last for seven years. The book of Revelation goes into detail about what this is going to look like, how to look for it, know when to look for it, and what to expect when it actually happens. And there are four basic ways that people have understood the book of Revelation when it comes to uh, the thousand year, the millennial reign uh, of Christ or the, the millennial times, okay? And so here they are. And I took this from, uh, the title is called Doctrine of Last Things by Bruce A. Ware. He's a professor of uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and he had a great uh, outline of these four particular views. The first, we have mid-tribulation. Well, first I'll just tell you what they are. So we have the pre-tribulation, or the, uh, and then we have the post-millennial tribulation, the pre-millennial tribulation, and the amillennial tribulation. Uh, tribulation. The mid-tribulation is a view that the church will be present for and go through the first half, that's three and a half years, of the tribulation, but then are going to be raptured out at the 
other half, the last three and a half years. The first half is seen as the natural tribulations, whereas the second half is actually God's wrath being poured out. More recently, the pre-wrath view has emphasized that the rapture, that means Christ coming back and, and, and calling all the believers back to himself, happens just prior to the outpouring of God's wrath. The church is seen to be a part of the tribulation spoken about in Matthew 24. The elect spoken of there are not the Jews, but all the saints who have come to accept Christ as their Savior, which obviously includes the church. Does anybody know what I just said? But wait, there's more. Okay, like I said, if you want a transcript of today's sermon, if you want to go back and keep replaying it on our podcast or watch the sermon again and again and again, that is totally fine. I get it. I still don't understand it all either. So that was the first one, mid-tribulation. The second one is a post-tribulation. And this is the view that the church will go through the tribulation rather than being raptured out or in the middle of the tribulation. Thus, the rapture of the church and the resurrection of all dead saints occur at the same time at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Generally, post-tribulationists see the church as having replaced the nation of Israel as the covenant people of God. The pre-tribulation, which is the most popular, because of the sermon, or be, not just because of the movie Left Behind, but that gave way to the movie Left Behind, is that the church is raptured or taken up just prior to, um, is raptured just prior to the seven-year tribulation. The time of the tribulation is unique in its intensity or severity, and so-called the great Tribulation to distinguish it from all other persecutions that the church is going to go through, okay? But the church, the church is exempt from this tribulation period. And then, ah, millennialism. Ah, millennialism, here it is. Teaches that there will be no millennial reign of the righteous on earth, and all millennialists interpret the thousand years to just be a temporary bliss of souls in heaven before the general resurrection rapture. And so therefore, it's kind of like soul sleep. There is just an infinite bliss of the righteous after the general resurrection before Christ makes everything new, okay? I am confident that Pastor John and I's theology uh, will come out in, in kind of one of the views that we hold uh, as we go through the book of Revelation. And you know what? Pastor John and I have different views of how all this is going to take place and that's okay because the evangelical covenant church and countryside covenant church does not take a doctrinal stance on how christ is going to return how exactly is this millennial and this tribulation going to take place we don't know but we know it's going to happen and so as a covenant church, this is not going to be a dividing issue. If you want to talk about post-millennialism, if you want to talk about pre-millennialism, amillennialism, hey, if you're like some of the people in the covenant church who are raging moderates, you're just like, hey, I'm a pan-millennialist. Everything's just going to pan out in the end anyway, right? So 
you can have any view and you are welcome to become a member of our church and still be a part of our congregation. But know this, there is no question to whether or not Christ is going to return. Christ is going to return. And better, and, and better be sure about it. Christ is going to return. And, uh, and, and, I, and I heard some you know, fiery Baptist preacher saying, you know, and, and when he comes, he's going to be mad as hell and he's going to bring hell with him. And I was like, okay, all right, well, just ease up there a little bit. All right. So Christ is going to come again. Christ is going to make everything new. And we see that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new new and so that is something we must agree on we must hold to that christ in fact is coming all things are going to be made new how exactly it's going to happen that is going to be left up to you i'm going to close with this two things i want to highlight the first is how will the church respond in light of how uh, christ's return will happen Okay, how is the church going to uh, live its life? How are you, church, as a body, as a community, as, as also as individuals, how is your theology affecting how you are living your life out today? Here's why it's important. Okay? Jehovah's Witnesses say that there is 144,000 people that are going to be saved. That's it. 144,000 people. We don't know who they are. They don't know if they're the elect, but God has chosen 144,000 people to go into heaven, right? It's literal. You, there's no way around it. And so everyone else and all of history is doomed, okay? Now, their view of when Christ is going to return uh, came popular, was going to happen back in the 1800s, and then... Uh, they were like, okay, here's how it's going to happen. Watchtower, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen in 18-something, and then it didn't happen. It was the great disappointment. And then they're like, okay, no, no, no. We, we did a miscalculation. It was our, our bad, our bad, everybody. Okay, it's actually going to happen here. Uh, that didn't happen either. And then, but so we're certain Jesus is definitely going to come here. No, that didn't happen either. And it didn't happen the next time. And it didn't happen the next time. And it didn't happen the next time. But finally, finally, it did happen. Christ did return. But it was invisible. Nobody saw it. Right? These are the people that come and knock on your door. Not the ones that have the name tag that says elder whoever. Okay, those are Mormon missionaries. Difference between Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? But that's how it is. So it's important not to screw up your... Uh, interpretation of revelation and then claim you know when jesus is returning to the other extreme we have a famous uh church leader and i say that in quotes uh, because it really wasn't a church we consider it a cult uh david koresh everybody remembers in uh, waco texas in 1993 i believe um david koresh uh, essentially claimed that god had chosen him to be the father uh, of a child who was going to become the chosen one. And he took the end times prophecies as being imminent. It is going to happen like in our lifetime. Therefore, you must follow me. God has chosen me to father this child, the chosen one. And I am going to be the one that's going to lead us all into heaven. And everybody else here is wrong. 
He believed that his, he was going to be martyred in Israel up until about 1990. And then after that, after they started um, you know, uh, taking uh, semi-automatic weapons and turning them to fully automatic weapons and selling them, because that's how they were funding their operation, right? There's no red flags there. Um, but after 1990, he shifted his idea and says, hey, you know, actually I'm going to get martyred here. In fact, it's going to happen at the Mount Carmel Center here at this Davidic Center. So the Branch Davidian Compound had a conflict. There's a whole mini-series out on that now. You can watch it. Um, but him and his, I think, 74 followers were all killed in a fiery uh, collapse of the building and things like that. So here's why it matters, Okay. And here's why we need to continue uh, to push ourselves into not just being so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good, okay? Don't be so heavenly-minded that you are no earthly good. The end times in heaven, those are great things. Well, the end times eventually are going to be great things because Christ is going to return, right? And getting to spend eternity in heaven. But keep in mind that God is still using us right now to bring about his kingdom and his love for his people. Okay. The other point is this. The book of Revelation, again, written in a first century context to seven churches who were dealing with specific things and the message was intended for them to receive it. We cannot take a one-for-one match to all the things that are written in Revelation and say, this is how it's lining up today and this is how this nation here represents this and how this will. And we try to do a one-for-one comparison on all things, okay? That's just bad theology. And I'll give you an example. The Constitution was written in 1776. It's only 300 years ago. But there are people in our Supreme Courts who are saying, well, you know, the Constitution, I know it was written back then for those particular people at those particular time, but that doesn't matter for today. The Constitution actually needs to become rewritten to make sense for us today. And we're like, well, that, that's a little problem some here. This is, a, this is an issue, okay? We can, we can see the Constitution as it was written at a particular time, using particular language, addressing particular people for a specific thing, okay? But it was intended for all of the country for all time. If you want to fact check this slide, feel free to do so. I did too. And in fact, this Supreme Court person said, when I, if I were to look at the U.S. Constitution when drafting it, I would have not considered it uh, in 2012. Okay? Um, so the exact quote is that she would not look to the Constitution if I were writing it in the Constitute, if I were writing the Constitution in 2012. So last slide which shouldn't be anything. It should just be empty. There we go. I am excited that John and I are going to get to... Who am I kidding? I'm not going to have to preach on Revelation. John's going to have to preach on Revelation. So if you've got any questions or problems or issues, you get to talk to him about it. All right? So this is exciting. We're going to have a good time uh, going through this. Don't get bogged down. Don't get overwhelmed. But continue to try to read through it, pray about it, and God is going to reveal great things through his word. Let's pray. Jesus, as we uh, come again together uh, to worship you, we're, we're grateful for your presence with us. We're grateful that you have promised that you will return for us, that we are waiting for your triumphant return 
God, that you will make all things new. God, we live in the tension that you are victorious on the cross and that you have set us free from our sins. And God, yet we still wait in the tension knowing that it has not been fully accomplished until you return. And so we wait for that. Help us as we engage in this world. God, is that we don't get too caught up on looking for the signs just to prove maybe what our own theology is, but also that we would look to this world and say, God, how do you want us to respond to it as we look to your words? We ask a blessing over uh, the folks that are here today, God, and that you would continue to guard our hearts and minds as we go through your words uh, so that we can proclaim your good news throughout this earth. In Christ's name, amen.